Welcome to Matters of Experience, a podcast produced by Lauren Mipsum, an experience design company headquartered in New York City. Our podcast explores the creativity, innovation, and psychology driving designed experiences and encounters. If you're new, welcome. And to our regular listeners, thanks for tuning in and supporting our conversation. My name is Abigail Honor. And this is Brenda Cowan. We just want to share a note from today's show sponsor, POW. This is Paul Orselli, Chief Instigator at POW, Paul Orselli Workshop, and we're delighted to sponsor this episode of the podcast. Please check out our website at www.orselli.net for more information about our work, as well as free resources and articles. Thanks. Today, we are off the tracks. Where are we, Brenda? We are in the American Museum of Natural History, experiencing the new Gilder Center. Well, Brenda, I'm really excited to talk about some of the phenomenal things, fantastic things we saw today, and some of the things that we found a little underwhelming. Okay, so let's kick it off. Let's start positive, right? Let's start with things that impressed us, intrigued us, things we enjoyed. Well, I think for me, the thing that really knocked my socks off on each floor, they have open storage areas that are layered with displays of objects and the graphic rails. Talk about the people who do the jobs with the specimens, with the artifacts that you're seeing. And you get to see the storage behind. You get to see what's going on sort of behind the scenes. And it's really visually dynamic. The thing that also makes those areas on each of the floors really, really perfect in my mind's eye is that the label copy is all question-based. So all of the headlines are questions, and they're very natural questions that you would wonder when you're looking at these really sometimes bizarre, sometimes strange, sometimes really familiar-looking objects. Oh, the question leads you in, you get a nice hit of content, and then you're on to the next thing. It's perfect. It's great exhibitry, and it was fascinating. And I want all of the jobs of all of the people who I saw displayed in all of these areas, because who knew? One of the really nice things that I enjoyed about that moment on the floors was being able to see faces, names, and very simply understand the varied jobs that are associated. It was all done in a very easy-to-digest, informative way that I think was inspirational. It was inspirational, and it was just really human. And another thing that I think is really smart, they put objects of material culture next to specimens in jars and uh, fossils and so on and so forth. So there was this great sort of mix of the human story within the story of the animals. And everything that was there had been clearly curated down. Nothing felt overwhelming and everything was very intriguing. I was, oh my goodness me, what is that? And I thought the use of large interactives with questions like who uses our collections and a very, very simple click, click to get your answers. You didn't need a lot of ramp up for, for using the, the interactives. They were very straightforward. I saw kids using them. I saw adults using them. I saw older people engaging. They were just very simple and complemented the themes. Those displays which line the halls and line the major gallery areas are, I think for me, the very, very best of the Gilder Center. And it's not to say that there aren't other really 
good things going on. Abby and I were just at the Insectarium, which is beautifully designed. It's a nice open space, and yet it's cohesive. And again, it's simple. It's straightforward. They've got specimens next to really beautiful graphics. There are some touch uh, screens where you can get more information, and it's a really playful open area with a lot a lot of content a lot of actual living creatures and it just makes a lot of sense it's a very pleasurable exhibit yeah i would echo the insectarium is gorgeous it has this amazing ceiling uh, ribbed ceiling that i think makes it feel very cocoon like Mm -hmm. and then you have these very large recreations of flowers and strawberries that really break up the space and make it feel more immersive and a bit different from a more traditional exhibition and then having a mix of the live animals very small moments they're not huge they're small moments where you can go and see the live animals and right next door is again some very brief relevant text that's enjoyable to read and then you have a very small quick video moment what I really like here is that you can click through the video moments and they're about 10 seconds long and it's all very easy it's all digestible and it's not overwhelming and you don't feel like you're walking through a book well walking through a book (laughs) we did start out our journey here in the hall of gems and had in so many ways almost the opposite experience from what we're starting out with right now. It was absolutely stunning to look at. It was like being in a jewelry store, as you would perhaps anticipate. And yet it was so difficult to experience. It was difficult to gain content. It was difficult to do all of the reading. And it was very unapproachable as well. And we've got, you know, fascinating content that was really, really a struggle to get a handle on. I mean, the collection itself is phenomenal, but the text panels were boring. They were heavy. They were intellectual. They were very heavily scientific. And uh, I couldn't touch a gem. I, I wanted to touch one or a cheap version of one. I wanted to feel what they were like. And the only thing we found or the only thing I found in there were some um, metal recreations of the shapes inside the gemstones and a scientific and mathematical drawing about them, again, which is very analytic. A lot of the questions I had, the straightforward questions, weren't answered. There wasn't anything that really tapped into the culture of gems. You know, people collect you know, quartz, they collect different gemstones, they collect different types of semi-precious stones. There are so many different types of gems in our everyday lives that people see as being numinous, as being, you know, alive or life-giving or energy-giving. And I wanted to understand some of that. I wanted to under I wanted to understand my people a little bit better and why it is that people have relationships that are very, very powerful with gems. And there just wasn't anything to sort of give me a clue. That's interesting you bring up the human relationship because I feel like there also wasn't a real global perspective. There was no real perspective except from a scientific perspective. And uh, I wondered about kids. There was nothing for them to do. Even the interactive that we did was a 
question and answer interactive. And, um, you know, you needed to be able to read long, complicated words and understand what these were, or at least try to understand what these minerals were. And I think that that precluded anybody under the age of 12 or 13. Can we talk about the floor? I don't know what it says about us, Abby, or what it says about the museum, or, you know, maybe we just are just too enmeshed in our own profession, but we were both really stunned by how beautiful the floor was. This beautiful, beautiful, deep, slate gray color that is reflecting back the colors and the lighting of all of the stones all throughout the hall. It was sumptuous. Sumptuous is the exact word. It was. It was incredible. Another sort of miss for me was the that minerals are elementary, exclamation mark, which was this huge, it was about nine screens, and on it was the periodic table. Everybody knows a periodic table. It's how scientists organize elements. And um, over we walked, well, at least over I walked, and I went to touch one because each of the elements was rather large and it had CR on it or MO or TC, and I was like, oh, this is cool, touch nothing happened. It in fact was not a large touchscreen at all. It was a piece of media. And what it was telling me, what it was doing, I still don't know. There was four speakers and no sound coming out of those speakers. So I, I think maybe something was broken, but I had to sit there as they turned a color and then showed me that, you know, almond is made of this. And I felt like interacting with the periodic table could have been so fun. It would have been really, really cool. Because as it is, unless you're already kind of in the club, you just don't get it. And I think that that's a problem. Because it definitely hits, yeah, I've got several uh, friends and acquaintances who are really into this subject, and they loved it. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's a miss. I think it's about getting those people, as well as people who've come to just learn a bit more. And I do want to say one of the highlights was... uh, what makes clay useful? There was a moment when we went into clay, and uh, clays are a family of fine-grained aluminium-bearing silicate minerals that form sheet-like layers with large surface areas that attract water. What? Okay, that's great. This was how, this was one of the more interesting text panels. This makes clay moldable when wet, while also allowing it to hold its shape when dried. I just I love that they showed bricks. They just showed ordinary bricks, and then they they had a lovely image of a person at a potter's wheel making a clay pot, and then there was the clay pot that was on display. It was so, that was very simple and really quite lovely. Yeah, so bringing it to life with relatable images, and I I personally loved the the, uh, clay-based cat litter, which was invented in 1947 (laughs) and was a boom for pot pet owners uh, so they had a nice little <laughs> picture there of kitty turned away so we couldn't see her cute eyes but making i think some of these things relatable to the visitor um, looking at minerals and gems in our everyday life they could have done a lot more with that those were the moments that i really connected next brenda we went into invisible worlds so what's your perspective on that I loved it. I hated it. So I've gone there twice, and they were very, very different experiences. The first time I went, there were so many people that it was really, really difficult to connect with anything. It was very difficult to have any kind of a really thoughtful experience. The time that you and I just had in the exhibition, far fewer people. And I was able to take in the content. I was able to have more of an in-depth experience with the content. So... It's a ticket entry, but 
if they could better regulate the number of people that go through, especially the big sort of immersive experience at the end, because the first time I did Invisible Worlds, I hated it. I didn't get it. I thought that there wasn't a cohesive story. I didn't understand how come some things seemed very visible and I understood thing, other things that were invisible, but it, there are a lot of themes there that didn't seem connected to me in any way. I was able to have a better time, more focused time, and get a little bit closer to the content uh, with better control of this. <laughs> better flow of traffic, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's what I was looking for. Better traffic flow. Yeah, so it was my first time. Um, so I read the opening statement about what I was about to see, things that are all around me, small and big, that I've never seen before. Very excited. Walked in and sorely disappointed by the initial media pieces where they have sort of material that's in these swathes around the room, these large white swathes projected just on the center. And you have the stereotypical drone sound. We're creating an atmosphere, everybody. And then you have one image in the middle and you're looking and there's a text quote above and there's no story, there's no narrative. I can't follow anything. And so I stood there for a minute or two. I'm like, okay, imagery. Walked around the corner a large area of darkness and then come to something else which is another sway then another projection and then objects inside the projection physical objects which are all illuminating and I'm standing there and I can't work out what they're telling me I'm like okay are they all related okay they're genes they have similar genes but why is some lighting up and then the next so I'm not being enabled to guide my own learning I have to stand and watch and be told and it's that monologue that I think is ancient and we should stop doing it it needs to be a dialogue and I want to touch and access what I want to touch and access. I don't want to have to stand and try to work out what you're trying to tell me. Yeah, if there somewhere, if there was an element that explained the overarching idea in some form, then I missed it. You missed it, which is a, a real problem. And that's what was really very necessary. It was not clear in the introduction area what this was all about. And again, you know, we were both really looking really hard. Maybe we were overthinking. I don't know. Maybe we're just really jaded, right? Perhaps. Um, But it was really difficult experiencing it. The things that worked the most effectively were these little interactive digital games. Yeah, they were superb. They were great. And you could sort of follow specific questions, get quick hits of content. It was a little bit of fun. You got some answers right. Yay. You got some answers wrong. And it was really nice, quick, you know, sort of, what do you know, kinds of fact. Yeah. Like one was an interactive about our our ancestors and that Mm -hmm. was fun. It was interesting. It was, as you said, easy to use. You know, I didn't know I was close, more closely related to mold rather than moss. I found that interesting. Oh, you're more closely related to the whale than you are the big shark. Mm -hmm. All things, yeah. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So there were elements of how we connect to nature and how we connect to our history and our evolution, which didn't really remind me of the title invisible world. Yeah, that's that's what I'm just, I'm really struggling to kind of get that. Because again, you were able to pick up on specific thematic areas or chunks of content, but the big message was just really missing. And I think that there was an opportunity in the big culminating event portion 
of the exhibition, which is this immersive 360, really gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous. It's, it's, it's stunning. The immersive experience led you through several different environments, and it was really difficult to get the main message, though, like what the takeaways were. I totally agree. It was absolutely gorgeous. The visuals were stunning. The sound was amazing, but it felt like a factoid video. So again, they're telling us something informative. And I found again, when I walked out, I'm like, okay, what's my takeaway? What's the lasting impression? And it's, oh, that was a good bit of fun nothing like that was great for my Instagram but I didn't I wasn't moved I didn't connect I didn't understand what they were trying to tell me yeah and again and it's not to the whole thing is not a loss it's not um it's not like you know we think you should scrap the whole thing and start from start all over again but it is frustrating when so much Clearly, so much time, effort, so much money went into this exhibition. And what we were looking for is really relatively simple. Just give us the big takeaway. And the title itself just seemed to be a little bit misleading. One of the moments that I thought resonated best in this 360 experience was when they asked us to step on the brainwaves and shoot Was it shoot the, what did they ask us to do? Do you remember? We were uh, shooting synapses. Is that what we were doing? That's what we were doing. I was shooting some synapses and I was moving and I was running over to my dark bubble and I was shooting out my synapse. But what I liked was it shot along the room to somebody else Mm -hmm. who was then shooting their synapse back to me. And suddenly I was aware of other people in the room with me and we were doing a communal activity. Mm -hmm. And I loved that moment. Yeah, the reactive, responsive floor uh, experience was a lot of fun, was really, really compelling, and had you, you know, experiencing more of the entirety of the space, which is, which is really great. With a clear story, you would have been all in. And there was no drama, right? There was no conflict. There was no adversity that we've beaten to get where we are today. I felt like there was none of that. And uh, it's easy to get excited about, about evolution. So I, yeah. Then I had another thought, Brenda, which is, you know, as we're in the business, maybe we overanalyze and maybe it's enough for people to take out their phone and go, wow, a whale flying, you know, flying. Felt like it was flying around me in the water. Cool, making a noise. Awesome. But then I walk out and I'm like, no, that's not enough. I want people to understand why the whale was there, why it was significant, so that they can go away and it can change who they are, their destiny. And you have a lovely story about your daughter coming here many, many years ago. Tell us about that. So as with probably just far too much in my life, uh, major milestone moments are entirely about my daughter. And I just remember taking her here when she was about four years old, many, many, many years ago. And she could not get enough of the Big Bang video. And you sit, you're watching the video, it's contained, it is clear, and this tiny person was absolutely enthralled. And she is not a scientist uh, 20 plus years later, um, but she was captivated because the story was clear and it used powerful images and it was, you know, certainly 
much less expensive than the experience that we just had, but the story was complete. And I agree. I think that I've seen it. I went, my kids have seen it. And it makes you feel about, it makes you question your place in the universe. At least it made me question my place in the universe. Brenda is stunned and stunned, shocked and all. Okay, so let's move on to the butterflies. Who doesn't love butterflies? Butterflies are lovely. Here's the thing that I was a little bit frustrated about. Gorgeous space, absolutely beautiful, and what a rare delight to be able to be completely immersed in this really genuinely magical world of these gorgeous plants and butterflies and learning about them in these, you know, tiny little ways through little fact panels here and there that were really thoughtfully integrated. But my issue, my stumbling block is that when you got in there, you weren't supposed to touch the butterflies. And there were occasional little signs that said, don't touch the butterflies, right? With a little a little icon. That's fine. Why, Abby, did we not get information before going in that not only informed us to not touch the butterflies, but why? Because it would have been a great opportunity for empathy, a great moment to really just if it was through a video, you know, while you're waiting to get into the space, or if it was even just a text panel with some images, or one of the, you know, um, people who was stationed there, if somebody could have just said, here's why we don't touch butterflies, right? Here's how we care for butterflies. Yeah, that might have prevented the young man I saw trying to get the butterfly on his hand from damaging the poor butterfly's leg. Okay, so let's move on to a space that is probably just as important, I would argue, as any of the touted exhibition spaces that we've discussed. It is the connective tissue. It is the joining moment between old and new. It is the moment between the old building and the new building. And Brenda, just describe right now what it's like. It is like walking through the basement of some kind of business complex. The interstitial connecting areas are white walls. You feel like you are in the wrong place. You feel like you are not supposed to be going through them. There's little to no signage anywhere that tells you you can enter into the rest of the museum this way. Abby and I just kept thinking, maybe they're not finished yet. Maybe they just haven't gotten to these interstitial spaces yet. And at the same time, fine, okay, right? Lots to go, I'm sure. However, do something. Give us some signage that says it's okay that you are walking in this space right now and no, you are not about to get lost. You are about to enter the old part of the building. And there was just nothing. And this is on all of the floors. It's just very odd. It's that transitional spaces are just as important as the main exhibition spaces. They set people up. They're the prelude before you walk into the space. And um, they're also another place to communicate information. They're a place of repose. There was nowhere to sit, nowhere to reflect. And it did. It felt like a basement. And 
I didn't realize the rest of the museum was there. It sort of is on a bend away from you and it looks like you shouldn't go there. And so, listeners, Brenda had to tell me to go there. So I would have missed the rest of the Natural History Museum completely had I not known that. And as Brenda says, I think it's it's simple design things. It's not expensive. You could do beautiful connecting images or a design that was thematic that would really help. And with these spaces, you know, as we were going up the main staircase, they'd put a beautiful quote from a fellow museum lover. Learning goes both ways. And I feel like that's not what I've seen and experienced here today. There was nowhere for me to give back, for me to interact, for me to share my thoughts and ideas. And so looking at these epic spaces, transitional spaces between the museums, between these times, between these subject matters, I feel, Brenda, these will be wonderful moments where we as the visitors can give our opinions, our thoughts, and really play more. There felt like not a lot of play here, and I feel like that we could really seriously use those spaces. Yeah, I think there's a whole lot of inspiration. There's a whole lot of prompting of wonder, prompting of imagination. There's a lot of care and thoughtfulness here in terms of the design and the visitor experience. And yet, I agree 100%. Wouldn't it be so much richer if you know, we were able to share a little story somewhere in a video booth or share a little story or do a little piece of, you know, writing in a feedback wall somewhere and talk about, you know, what kind of scientist I would love to be or which of, you know, all of the different areas in the museum that I saw today, what I most want to live inside of. I've seen amazing insects. I didn't know ever walk the planet gorgeous colors beautiful textures and it's just it's been so inspiring and I feel like I'm going to walk out unable to do anything about all of these feelings and thoughts I have there's so much more that we could do here it's making me think of Annie Dillard Pilgrim at Tinker Creek which my students know um, is a book that I am absolutely obsessed about. Annie Dillard, who won the Pulitzer Prize for the book, wrote, I'm no scientist, I merely explore the neighborhood. When writing this remarkable book that captures an entire year spent literally on her belly in the mud at the side of a creek and documenting the unbelievable beauty, wonder, just it's, it's a lustful book about science and the natural world. And I wish that that feeling were here. I wish that that feeling of, I, you know, may not be a scientist, but I can explore the neighborhood in a way that is personal. I wish that experience were here. Well, Brenda, I've really enjoyed our time here today. I encourage everybody listening to come. You should see it for yourself. Judge for yourselves. Uh, see it. Judge us as well as well as the museum. And uh, let us know your thoughts on what you feel works and what doesn't work. You know how to reach us. Uh, but this has been really interesting. It's been a fantastic way to spend an afternoon. Highly recommend the visit as well. And come explore this neighborhood. Enjoy it and take from it what you will. Thanks for everyone who tuned in today. If you like what you heard, subscribe for more episodes of Matters of Experience wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to leave a rating and a review and please share with a friend. See you next time. Thank you, everyone. 
Matters of Experience is produced by Lorem Ipsum Corp. Tune in next time for more fun discussions about experience design.